you have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service, so anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from February 6th, 2022. The sermon text was Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. I had uh, run over this and decided it was a little longer than I wanted, but now I'm looking at the clock and figuring maybe Lowell was trying to give me all the time I possibly needed and then some. So hopefully we'll be done a little bit early unless you have a lot of sharing time. But I was thinking a few years ago, the trailer across the road from us, from our second driveway, if you've been at our house, was empty for a little while. And when the power company came to reconnect their power, they also apparently decided to put a fuse in between the main line and the transformer. At least that's what I'm guessing they were doing. I'm not, this is not my area of expertise. But I was working outside that day, and since the pole that that transformer is on is right in our yard, I got to watch them do their work while I did my work. And if I remember right, the first thing they did was they connected their truck to the ground wire that's on the side of the pole. And then when the man got ready to go up in the bucket, he put on some, I assume they were really special gloves. And then when he finally got up beside the transformer, he put a whole bunch of they looked a little bit like pool noodles, but I'm sure they weren't, on the wires up there around him. And finally, after he had done all of this safety stuff, then he proceeded to do his job of connecting or disconnecting the transformer from the main line and then putting the fuse in and then reconnecting all the wires. And he did this. He did this while the wire was live. There is enough electricity there to blow him straight into eternity, but he did it safety, safely because he had the right safety gear and the knowledge of how to use it. So I don't know what kind of jobs you might have had over the years, but at least some of you have probably had jobs where you've had to get some training or watch some seminars or some videos about how to use safety equipment well so that you can do your job safely. And I feel like that's a little bit what Paul is talking about when he is giving this section of his letter to the church in Ephesus. So he's not talking about safety at work or with electricity, but safety in the spiritual battles that we're going to face. So let's, let's start in here. I will read it out of the New Living Translation. It's good to get some variation here. He says, Be a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So I guess before he got, dives into the particular safety gear that we're going to talk about next, he first wants to make sure we understand that there is a danger, there is a risk around us. So again, think of that guy working on the electric lines. It's really hard to rem- 
to be safe if you're not aware that there is a danger. But he was well aware that there was a lot of potential risk with that electric wire that he was working on, and so he went in and did the work that he needed to do to stay safe. So Paul starts out by reminding us that there is a battle and that we have to protect ourselves. But then the second angle of this is he reminds us who we're, who we're fighting against, who is our enemy, because sometimes we will forget this. There is a battle, yes, and people aren't really the enemy. See, if you were to fight against people or to try to protect yourselves from people, you might use a, a gun or a sword or a court or a police officer. Or you might build a wall, or, but that doesn't, do anything, that doesn't do anything useful with the enemy that we face. So there is a battle, and people aren't the enemy. Those people that you sometimes feel like they're a real problem, they're actually people that Jesus is trying to set free in the same way that he has set you free. So we're in the middle of a series on Ephesians, as I'm sure you know. Months ago, we started, I think October, but I forgot to double-check myself. In the last couple weeks, in the, in the second half of Ephesians, we've been focusing on what it seems to me a theme that we can summarize by saying that we have been saved and rescued by Jesus. We've been adopted into God's family. Therefore, we are called to be representatives of Jesus Christ. And so if we realize that this is, this is what we're supposed to do, but we are going to be facing a battle, and the goal of our enemy is to stop us from being representatives of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know Jesus at all, he's going to want to stop you at the beginning part, but Paul is writing to Christians. So in that sense, we have already been saved and rescued. We have already been adopted. That's not going to change, but, but he wants to stop us from being representatives of Jesus Christ. I used the image in one point in this series of a mirror. We are supposed to reflect Jesus so that when people look at us, they see Jesus reflected in us. So the enemy is trying to smear that mirror with something, anything. He doesn't particularly care what in order to obscure that image. So two weeks ago, when we were working through Ephesians, we talked about how Paul writes that we need to get rid of sexual immorality, we need to get rid of greed, we need to get rid of any talk or language that tears down or tears apart, because those things will obscure our representation of Jesus. People will not see Jesus through us. And then last week, Joel talked about the, the next passage in which we need to be able to represent Jesus in our relationships. So, if you are in a situation where you're under authority, you need to live in a way that will reveal Jesus to those people who are in authority over you. And this means not rebellion or antagonism or mockery like we often do when we're under authority, but actually Christ-like submission. But then Paul also talked, if you are one with authority, you also need to represent Jesus. And this, this means living out his upside-down approach to life in which you use authority to lower yourself to lift others up, to build them up, and to strengthen them, even at great cost to yourself. Jesus modeled this when he lived and he died for us. So when we live this way, cleaning up those things that obscure, like sexual morality and greed, coarse words, living out a representation of Jesus as we serve, as we support, and as we show, the enemy is going to try to attack us to obscure this, to cover it up, and so that is why we are going to need to have our safety gear on. So Paul dives in and he talks about, he says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, 
the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I got to wondering if Paul were writing to us today. I wonder if he might use a football uniform with its helmet and its pads Something that you would see, because this would have been something that his audience was probably pretty familiar with, but we don't see it so much. But either way, no matter what he was talking about, the point would still be that the soldier or the football player or us in our Christian walk, we have a job to do, and it's a dangerous one. And so the point of the safety gear is to keep us safe so that we can do the job that we are given to do. It's not just to keep us safe, but keep us safe for a purpose. So what does Paul talk about? The belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, first the belt of truth. I can remember I can remember growing up, the church around me that had a lot of talk about postmodernism, the rise of that in our culture, the way that um, This was causing people to reject ideas of absolute truth or any kind of concept of rooted truth. And the evangelical church spoke out against this, was concerned about it. But I can also remember the day, some years later, but still a long time ago, I'm getting older all the time, when I realized the church had kind of lost the battle already. There's a friend of mine, and I will keep him completely anonymous in the situation too, but he, he was the first one in which I saw in somebody that I really respected and trusted and still do. He's not from this church, not from Delaware. But I saw that the cultural view of truth had influenced him in a way that came out in his words when he probably wasn't even thinking about it all that much. I had asked him a question, and we were talking about something, and he mentioned a view in, the, in the, the social world around us, a view of something. And I said, I'm not sure that that's true. And I tried to direct him to some resources, some ideas that I thought might be able to help him think about this and to see if he's on the right track. And he said, well, it's really hard to know the truth. So I guess we both will have to decide what's true for us and then run with it. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure if I'd asked him directly... Is there truth? He would have said, oh, yeah. I mean, he was a product of the church. Or if I'd asked him about a church-centered concept, salvation or or whatever, oh, yeah, there is concrete truth. There is reality. But but when I was asking about something else, all of a sudden that cultural view that that the truth is just sort of, I get to decide what's true for me, and then I can run with that, that infiltrated him without him being aware of it in a way that came out in his words. And actually, I don't mean to pick on him because I think this has infiltrated all of us to an extent. I'm sure that if you had a recording of me, you would hear me say things like this that that I don't even quite think are true, but I'll I'll have adopted from the uh, culture around me. But it doesn't really matter whether I want something to be true. It either is or it isn't. It doesn't matter whether I think something's true. It either is or it isn't. So there's two statements that that I have often heard that seem to reflect the way that this has come into the church. The first statement is, well, I know it's 
It's hard to know the truth. So I believe this because it makes sense to me. The other statement is, well, I know what I believe. I've already decided it. I'm sure of it, and I'm not going to change. And these seem like opposite views, but actually they both arise out of a culture that doesn't affirm the fundamental rooted nature of truth. In the first case, when we say, well, I'm going to believe what makes sense to me, we're trying to embrace as truth what we want to be true, ignoring the fact that real truth does exist, and sometimes it doesn't make sense to us because we're wrong. It confronts us and it makes us uncomfortable. And that second case, the idea that, well, I know what I believe and I'm not going to change, it's, it's actually kind of a different angle of the same idea, ignoring the fact that there is truth. It twists, tries to twist truth that I want to be true, to hold on to it, ignoring the fact that actually sometimes I'm wrong and if I am pursuing truth, then I will have to allow it to change me. You see, a genuine pursuit of God's truth is going to let him change us, to transform us, to correct us. We aren't perfect, and every one of us are, have beliefs and errors, areas in which we are wrong, and God wants to refine us. And so this is not a sermon about truth, but, but Paul says this is part of our armor. And so how does this protect us? I mean, maybe I've talked too much about it, but see, as we go through the rest of these, the body armor of righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the sword of the spirit. There's this fundamental element of truth at play in all of these. So think about that lineman that was working on that transformer. The gloves that the lineman put on, I, I don't know anything about them. They looked a little bit unusual, and I assume that they had great insulating abilities. But I thought they illustrate truth for us. The lineman needs to know for sure that these actually will protect him. If his employer has given them to him and he puts them on and he's supposed to go up there and he's supposed to touch that thing that would just kill him, otherwise he needs to know that these are actually going to do the job. So there has to be a confidence in the truth of what he has been told. Otherwise he's going to be paralyzed. He's going to sit there in that bucket looking at that thing and be unable to do his job. But of course, it's not just confidence that he needs. It needs to be confidence in the right thing. So if he's sitting there and he pulls on the gloves, and they're not actually the lineman's gloves, but AI technician gloves, then he's going he's gonna to touch that thing and he's going to get blown straight into eternity because they're not going to do the job. So he has to have confidence and it has to be in the right thing. So, so if he's got the wrong gloves on and somebody says that, he has to let that truth change him and say, whoa, you picked up the wrong stuff. So truth matters. We're going to go on the either way. We have to have truth or we will not be able to do our job of representing Jesus Christ because we're going to get paralyzed or we're going to get led astray. Next, the body armor of righteousness. Righteousness is the church word. Do we know what it means? I, I would be interesting to have you write down. I looked it up in several places. One place said sanctifying righteous living, and I thought, well, that's really helpful. If you don't know what righteousness is, you probably don't know what sanctifying means. So the Bible Dictionary says the quality of rightness or justice. I noticed the CEV version of the Bible, which tries to get away from these religious words, just translates this as justice. It seems to me to refer to the idea of just, fair, or good living. If I try to put it into words that you would use on a normal basis of life rather than just in church. 
So how does this protect us? For a while, I scratched my head and said, I can really see that we ought to live with righteousness, but how does this actually protect us? And then I thought, you know, have you ever been tempted to do something? This idea enters your mind, and you're like, I'd like to do this, and then you say, you know, that wouldn't be fair. But that's where the body armor of righteousness protects us. Our minds are changed into a way in which we understand what is right and good, and we immediately recognize the temptations that have been thrown at us. But of course, it has to be God's righteousness, so that our minds are in line with what God would have, so that our ideas of right and good and fair and just living are in compliance with God's mind and God's vision. And then, when that is what fills our minds, when the temptations of life get thrown at us to to deviate us away so we don't reflect Jesus well, we're going to say, that's not right. And we recognize it. The shoes of peace that comes from the good news. There were some different ideas here. Some people thought this was the peace that God gives us as we have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's wonderful and powerful. That seems to be very similar to the helmet of salvation. So maybe I kind of like the other idea that people put forward, this idea that we have the peace, freedom from worry and fear, this peace that only God can give us. And I thought, you know, when I'm filled with worry or fear or I'm really wrestling with something, I tend to not be a good representative of Jesus. I tend to be sort of self-centered, thinking about myself. What can I do for me? How can I... How can I get out of this situation? But when I have peace that God gives me, then I, even in that moment, I can continue to look at others. I can continue to reflect Jesus. So I think that's at least part of what Paul is trying to say here. The shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. I was thinking about Joel's sermon from last week. When we represent Jesus and we try to live it in that kind of upside-down way that Joel was talking about, you're almost certainly going to be encountering a lot of doubt. So when we uh, respond to authority with Christ-centered submission, or, or when we uh, use the authority we have to build up and to serve, even at great cost to ourselves, people around us are going to say, wait a minute, you're wasting your life. That's a dumb way to do it. What are you doing? You don't, you don't, you don't deserve that situation. And these doubts that we're going to face are going to deviate us from living out what Jesus has asked us to do to reflect him to the world. But when we are confident that this is what God wants, that we are where he's at, and this is the way that he has given to us to fight our true enemy, then we can have the shield of faith to protect us from these arrows of doubt that the enemy throws at us. The helmet of salvation. Well, uh, one thing that the enemy is going to try to use to deceive us, to get us to stop being a true reflection of Jesus, is danger. So you're going to hear voices from the enemy. You can't do that. That would be way too risky. That would cost you too much, maybe even cost you your life. It's going to be tempting to stop doing what we're supposed to do, to turn aside, and we will no longer reflect Jesus. But when we are fully confident in our status before God, that we have been saved, rescued, and adopted already, then we can more confidently do those things that Jesus has asked us to do. And I was thinking about Paul. He wrote this from jail. Our best guess is that he got out of jail the time that he wrote this, but then he went to jail later. Ultimately, though, he was executed. So how did he write letters from jail, facing that situation, representing Jesus, knowing 
that the end was coming at some point, somehow. But it's, I'm pretty sure, because he knew that his true safety was found in Jesus and not in the things of this world, that when we're confident in our safety and our ultimate salvation, we represent Jesus in bad situations. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the one thing here, maybe, you might argue, but probably the one thing here that has both offensive and defensive natures. Paul seems to be primarily thinking about defensiveness through here, protecting us, but there is this element of offensiveness with the sword as well, and it's good to think about that as we talk about what is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I thought, you know, what is, what is the Word of God? I, I won't ask you, or you can call it if you want, but I'm guessing that if I put out a survey of a bunch of Christians, a lot of them would just say, oh, it's the Bible. And they wouldn't think about the fact that, at least in this case, they wouldn't be exactly correct. I mean, it's not exactly wrong, but the Bible didn't exist when Paul wrote this. The Old Testament existed, and, and Paul referred to the Old Testament a lot in his letters, and he called it the Scriptures. He was writing the New Testament, or part of it. Some of it hadn't been written yet. So what was he referring to when he said the Word of God? Well, my best guess is to turn to Romans 10 or look at it on the screen. This is where several different commentaries sent me. In the New Living Translation, it uses the word message, but the commentators pointed me to this passage because it seems like Paul was using wording similar in this letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, as he used in the, church, in the letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And that message is the very message, or the word about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm pretty sure, at least it's a good guess in my mind, you can let me know that when Paul says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, he means that fundamental message about Jesus, that if you declare Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And that's a defensive weapon. It gives us confidence in the face of danger and attacks. Whatever the enemy throws at us, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that we are rescued already. But it's also a great offensive weapon, and it shows us the nature of the battle we fight. When I, when I think about battles and offensive weapons, usually we try to destroy the enemy. But Jesus does it a different way. He tries to transform the people who are under the bondage of this evil by saying that if you'd openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and they will no longer be in opposition but working with us in the work of Jesus Christ. So as I think about that lineman, as I watched him working on the power line, he was working in the presence of tremendous danger but because he had the right safety equipment and the right knowledge of how to use it, he did it safely, he did his job, he accomplished the task that his employer had wanted him to do. So we're, we're also surrounded by a lot of danger. We're also given a job, a task that our Lord wants us to do. And so he has given us armor, protection to keep us safe so that we can do that job and do it well. So there is a battle. People aren't the enemy we're not going to be safe using the normal things of shields or guns or swords or whatever. God gives us his armor, surround ourselves with it, and we will be safe and able to do our job. Stand your ground, 
putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from February 6th, 2022. The passage was from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Take care.